Seconds flat. Give me up. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hello again, friends, and welcome to Mile 120 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis here with Phil via Zoom, not in the headquarters tonight. We're coming at you from different parts of the country. We are all across the country. This chair is much more comfortable than world headquarters. (laughs) We're going to have to work on a nice new luxury recliner for you at the main studio. I have traversed the Northland, Phil, and I'm ready to report back from the historic Grandma's Marathon in Duluth, Minnesota. No, I, I'm, I'm sitting here shirtless, sweating in South Carolina, and, and you look like you got a sweater and mittens on up there in the Great White North. I will say, Phil, it was a beautiful trip and great weather. I'll get more into race day weather, great weather for the race and beyond. But outside of the race, I have two big highlights for you. Okay. First, I picked up a book the day before the race at the old Fitzgers Brewery in Duluth, which now has a few restaurants and shops inside overlooking Lake Superior, neat setting. Oh, man. And the book is called Northland, A 4,000-Mile Journey Along America's Forgotten Border. And I'll give it my heartiest endorsement, Phil, as the best book I've read so far this year. Really? That's a big statement. Uh, Yeah, it's fantastic. He interweaves travels along the U.S.-Canada border that he does via canoe, boat, car, and foot. Over the course of a couple years, he breaks it into four different sections. And that's all then combined with the history of the region, and it's just an excellent story. So highly recommended. Interesting. That sounds like one of my favorites. The author is Peter Jenkins. And it is, what's it called? It's like a walk across America. It's been maybe five years since I read it. And him walking kind of along the East Coast, but from North to South and kind of his observations of the culture and the people. I'm familiar with that book. It's a very similar premise. It's beautiful storytelling and really remarkable history of the region. It's a little bit of like a Bill Bryson walk in the woods uh-huh. Meets, meets a cultural assessment, almost like a Tocqueville look at America from 200 years ago. Oh, uh, so you bring that up. Have you actually read the, all of Tocqueville? I know you're a political science guy. Have you read the whole thing? Yeah, probably 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And it's very interesting, but most of the time we just pick tidbits of it that right. uh, reflect on American society, sometimes poorly, but... It, it, <laughs> It's an interesting read. And then the second big thing is after the race, so I took a few days off and then like the third day after, I went kayaking. Every time I go kayaking, Phil, I have the same response. What, you need more push-ups? No, you know know I do my push-ups. That's right. 
I always think to myself, I could go all in on this. Like we all have that thing in life that we are willing to over invest in with little experience. And for me, it's kayaking. I was out on some pristine, placid water paddling toward Lake Michigan a couple of days ago. And I just thought I could do this every day. Why have I not bought a kayak or a canoe? So I'm thinking maybe when I get back, this is an endeavor that you and I perhaps could get into for some cross training. Maybe we go out, I don't know, Lake Jocassee. Oh, uh, sign me up. Yeah, what do you say, man? Yeah, I mean, I'm it's, in. It's so much fun. So, uh, and I happened to notice today on Strava, I went on to log like a swim or something that friend of the show, Masters Marathoning legend Eddie Posey, did like an eight hour kayak today. So, what? Yeah, I mean, he's a monster. Well, if it works for him, we can do that. We can do that too. Right. If I'm as good as him in 10 years, then I need to kayak more. Right. No question. Okay, let's get to the stuff that matters. So before discussing the race, the course, a little bit on my performance, we are recording in the midst of the U.S. Track and Field Championships. Our hope next week is to get you a recap on some of the big action there and perhaps an interview. But for now, we have... A couple big stories from day one in Eugene. Uh, first for me is Olympian and the Golden Boy Miler of 2021, Cole Hawker, got bounced in the prelims of the 1500 meters. Yeah, I, that was one of my races I was excited about watching going into this, seeing him and Cooper Tier going head to head again. You know, that's always a great matchup, but apparently Cole Hawker's been dealing with some sort of injury the past couple weeks and really didn't have the race that he was hoping for. Yeah, that came out today that he had been out for much of the past 10 days to two weeks, but it's a somewhat shocking result for a guy considered a potential medal contender at the upcoming world championships. And instead, a spot has opened up on that team. And the former Oregon star won't be running the 1500 in front of his home fans. Yeah. Also, to me, the other big Oregon connection and the second biggest story from yesterday is off the track in Eugene, not even from the action at the U.S. Champs. And that is that Oregon announced it is not retaining its head track and field coach, Robert Johnson. Interesting. Yeah. I saw some questions about whether he would be hanging on until the next year, but I guess that's an official announcement now. Yeah, they they made that official. It's been reported. There were stories today in the uh, Eugene and Portland papers about it. So perhaps the most sought-after job in the sport is now open. Yeah. Let the rumor mill begin churning. Someone is going to get the opportunity to follow in the footsteps of legends like Bowerman and Dellinger and Lanana. So... You have the Nike money, a beautiful uh-huh. new a beautiful facility. There it is. And a tradition that is second to none. I expect we'll hear Andy Powell's name mentioned as a candidate, the former Oregon distance coach who now runs the show at Washington. Mm-hmm. Might we hear about Benji's guy, Mike Smith from Northern Arizona? That would be interesting. I don't know. He's got his own thing going there. It doesn't seem uh, necessarily ideologically and culturally like the fit, but if you're Oregon with their history and distance running, don't you make that call? Doesn't he seem like he makes a lot of sense if the goal is returning to your distance running roots? But I'd be making some calls to SEC country 
if the target yeah. is to build on the track dominance, we've seen what those teams have done in recent years. Oh, I see. Coach out of Florida with what he's done with the sprint teams, with the coaches out of LSU and what they've done there. I mean, I know they don't have the the distance chops, but in terms of a, a fully rounded track team. That's right. The points are won in the sprints, in the jumps, right, that you can get from those SEC schools that have been so dominant. And then maybe you think about keeping someone on board like a current Oregon distance coach, Ben Thomas, who came over from Virginia Tech and has done well. That coaching carousel will be really fun to follow. Uh, we'll yeah. see where they go next. But on the scale of collegiate track and field coaching, this is mammoth. This is like when Coach K stepped aside in Duke basketball last year, saw college football jobs open at Notre Dame and LSU and Oklahoma and USC this past year. And at an hour sport, this is on that scale. We'll see who Phil Knight and friends at Nike are able to bring to Eugene. All right, Phil. Upon finishing my race in Duluth, I immediately posed the question to you, what are the next three best American marathons after the big three majors of Boston, Chicago, and New York? So I thought it could be fun yeah. to figure out what we might call the tier two or the sub-majors, the next three, because I was just a, a, just a wonderful race in Minnesota, one with, with a great legacy. These are fun discussions to raise some ideas for the folks listening as to maybe what their next target could be too. They're looking for that great race to go run and we can share our experience. Uh, among my criteria and picking these next three are the tradition, mm -hmm. the race field size and depth, Yep. Uh, your winning times, course, the conditions slash time of the year, and then also the community engagement. What does it mean to the people of the city that hosts? So Phil, would you like to go first or do you want to do like let's, a, let's a do draft? One, yeah, let's do a draft. Let's do 1v1. Because I, I think in, in my case, there are a few that, maybe one or two that are pretty obvious that I, I suspect we'll agree on. Okay. And maybe a second tier of another, maybe two or three that may come out of the blue. So let's go one-on-one. -on -one. So the second tier, which would then actually be the third tier. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay. So do you want to each end up with three so that we get to six total? Let's just go for it. Let's see how many we end up with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll get a list of three that may be up to six. This That's is right. the content that the people listen for. How about, right. we do, how about we do this, Phil? We'll do a little bit of a snake draft. So okay. I'll, I'll give you the top pick. Okay. Then, then I'll take the next two. Okay. Then you take the next two. And then I'll take okay. the, the last one. So that gets us each to three, but we have a total of six when we were going okay. for three, but whatever, let's go for yeah, it. Okay. Whatever. All right, All Phil. Right. So, so first off, probably, and I suspect you'll agree with me, is CIM in that it's almost the default U.S. championships. I know every year it kind of rotates through, but that seems like such a at least the past couple of years, a popular race where a lot of guys are coming out to run their qualifiers, guys and girls coming out to run the qualifiers for the U.S. teams or for Olympic trials. 
it looks like an awesome course, relatively flat, but somewhat rolling. I know you've done it a couple of times and it's on my list to do. I'm going to get you there this year, Phil. <laughs> I'm working on it, man. Yeah. <laughs> but it also seems like beyond the, the folks that are trying to hit that, those qualifier times, there's, there's big packs of folks that are, you know, chasing sub 245, sub three with really good community support along the whole way. I'll put that one for number one. Yeah, I agree. That was on my list of three that I did not rank order. You hit a lot of the key points. It was just announced as, again, the host of the U.S. Marathon Champs for 2022. Uh -huh. That was just announced last week. It has hosted it before. You're right. There is competition at every skill level, including in past years, unofficial 245 women's Olympic trials qualifying standard pace groups. It's consistently top-notch racing weather as well. You're going to struggle to find a place with better weather year in and year out for running a fast marathon. Well, and it's kind of, a, it, to me, it's almost like the last chance fall marathon too. That, that's right. That December timing is great. It doesn't have a ton of competition that time of year. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Jacksonville also in December. Locally in the Southeast, you get a few others like Kiowa. Charleston comes in, in January. But on a national scale, it's really the last big one following after like Philadelphia is one right. of those late November races that's really good. But you're after the biggest of the big. That course from Folsom to Sacramento point to point, not a lot of turns, which is advantageous, rolling early, but a net downhill. It just attracts PR seekers of every level. Yeah. Uh, so, so great pick for you, number one, California International Marathon. Uh, that is early December. It's not always the first weekend. It's lined up to be the second weekend after Thanksgiving. So yeah. depending on how the calendar falls. So you take California International, this year's U.S. Marathon Champs host. I get the next two. Uh, Who's next? I'm going to go one with just complete recency bias and take, <laughs> and take grandmas. I'll hold for a minute on drilling down into that event uh, since I just ran there and we'll get into it more. Okay. But we'll share more about the history there and what makes it so special. I'm going to take it. And then the other one I'll take is Houston. Uh, Ooh, okay, so Houston is perpetually a fast course with perfect winter timing. You, that's your big January opportunity. Right. Not butting up against a lot of competition. Before everything in the spring gets so bound by Boston in April, this is so far out three months earlier. Well, when everything in the spring, too, seems somewhat iffy from a weather perspective. Yes, that's right. You, that early March to mid-April, that's a huge range from it. could be, depending on where you're racing, of course, but could be super hot to freezing cold. I feel like the fall is a little more predictable than the spring is. Yes, as you just experienced at New River, I 100% agree. Fall is the time for marathoning, and spring is a bit of a toss-up. I added here with Houston, it is going to have one of the best half marathon fields in North America every year. Mm -hmm. You always see folks chasing American and regional records there. It 
has hosted an Olympic trials at Houston, and it just seems like the field is only getting better. So I'm going to take grandmas and Houston off the board. Phil, you have two selections now. Yeah, let's go with, um, maybe this is a local bias, but let's put, take Richmond next. Oh, okay. I did not have Richmond on my board. It is perhaps local bias, but that's a really good race. And it's a good race. It's a, a great time of year. It's early November. It, there's enough participation that, you know, even down to the, you know, 220 time range, there's folks to run with, folks to race with. There's good crowd support. There's good community support. And it's, it's a, not a flat course, but it's a flat-ish course. So there's some gear changes through the course, but, you know, nothing to really take too much time off of your race. So I'll take that one next. And then probably next would be Rocket City Ooh. down in Alabama. Yeah, that's got some history to it. Okay, I yeah. like that. Now, I'm going to tell you, Phil, the NBA draft just happened. Uh-huh. If I was in my war room, let's say I am the general manager, name me a random NBA team that you would put me in charge of, Phil. Oh, gosh. You're coming back from the North Country, so let's say the Timberwolves. Okay, not bad. They had a good team this year. They made uh-huh. the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. I'm in my Minnesota Timberwolves war room for the draft, and I'm looking around the room, and I think that I'm going to say you might have reached a little bit with your picks. I think uh-huh. that you uh, there, there was more value to be found. Okay. And you made good picks, but you could have gotten them later. Okay. And passed on some, some big ones. So I will take, I have two on my board that I still really like, but I'm going to take Indianapolis, Indianapolis Monumental as Nine. my, my okay. third. Flat, fast course, tons of elites chasing the Olympic trial standard in both the marathon and the half marathon. Strong race coordination with the start and the finish in a great downtown. A large deep field. I believe it's now in the top dozen U.S. marathons when measured just by the size of the field. Really? And okay. to me, the only thing, like I liked our first three picks the most. Houston, yeah. CIM, Grandma's. I think the only thing this one lacks is the history yep. that the others have, but in time, it's building to that. So I'll take Indy Monumental third. So I have as my second tier, Houston, Grandma's, and Indy Monumental. You have California International, which I would agree with. I would put it in uh-huh. if we were just going to make a three-race list. Richmond and Rocket City. You know, some others that I thought about, even like Los Angeles. Yonkers historically was like the marathon. Every U.S. championship was there for years and years. Well, um, the other one that, I, that was halfway on my list, it, it's kind of gone out of fashion, but it's Honolulu. Yep, Honolulu crossed my mind as well. The other one that I would put next actually might be the Twin Cities. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful course through Minneapolis and St. Paul. It's hosted multiple U.S. marathon championships. The key issue there for me, though, is a calendar issue. It often lines right up with Chicago. It yep. might be that weekend or the next weekend. You have other good mid-tier races at the same time, like St. George. So the competition gets watered down in that October window so much. Right. Whereas, look at the other races we picked, like, Houston in January, Cal International in December, Grandma's, Grandma's. In, in June. Yeah, Indy's a November race. So uh, October, you could find a great race every weekend, and that 
in some ways also works against Twin Cities. Right. Okay, Phil, let's unpack grandmas then. One of the races that I put on that list last weekend was the 46th running of Grandma's Marathon along the shores of Lake Superior from Two Harbors to Duluth, Minnesota. A race right. that has... Point to point right along the water, right? Point to point right along the water and a race that has clearly established itself as the top American late spring or summer marathon. I'll give a little history here, some overview, overview, break down the course to help out folks who are considering running there in the future and also recap this year's race. So feel free, uh, feel free to ask questions as we go. It's yeah. a mouthful. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question right off. Why did you why did you end up choosing this one and kind of how far out did you start start your training and start planning for it? I've eyed this for a number of years largely because of the history that I'll get into uh, shortly. And uh, this has been really the the target of the entire spring build for me. I ran the half marathon which is named after Gary Bjorklund, a Minnesotan who won the inaugural marathon and represented the U.S. in the 10,000 meters at the 76 Montreal Olympics. They've held the half for 30 plus years and it has hosted the U.S. half championships, which gives it a storied history given the relative recent explosion in popularity for the half marathon. And the half starts at the halfway mark of the point-to-point marathon course with with a 6 6 a.m. gun time. And while the marathon features a net downhill of about 100-plus feet, most of that comes in the first 10-ish miles of the marathon. So a relatively flat but gently rolling half marathon course with one somewhat substantial uphill. I'll get into that more. To, to speak more to that history that I brought up, Phil, that made me want to go there, uh, first, our guest in mile 111, Dick Beardsley, yeah, was a two-time champion at Grandma's and actually a course record holder for 33 years. He ran 209, low 209 time in 1981 that I believe held until 2014 as the course record. Yeah, it's impressive. Uh, Some other previous champions include former half marathon world record holder, Mark Kirp. Uh He held the half marathon world record for, I believe, about five years back when it wasn't as popular of an event, but his American record lasted all the way until Ryan Hall finally broke it. So it was several decades that he held that record. Both of Joe Klecker's parents, friend of the show, Joe Klecker, Olympian, both of his parents won at Grandma's in different years. That's the family history there between the the success that his mom had at the marathon and then his dad had at not just the marathon, but the 50 miler and I think 100K as well. Yeah. Also, native Minnesotans. Awesome story for the family Klecker. Um, Yeah. Nell Rojas, who was last year's top American at Boston, is another former winner. And the women's record holder is a current athlete, Kellen Taylor, uh, from NAZ Elites, the Hoka group in Flagstaff. She ran 224 there a few years ago, lightning fast time. Tons of history. That's part of what makes this so great. It's an amazing community event, and I weighted that in my 
criteria for the top second tier races, the non-majors. But this is a town in Duluth that loves this race. And frankly, loves, it seems, also the time of year and the outdoors activities and the weather that it brings with it. Because uh, they go through some pretty tough winters. And Uh uh, I'm sure a lot of the endurance athletes shift to cross-country skiing and the like instead of running in some of those uh, winter months. But those conditions also play favorably for your chance at what was this year a late spring race. It was just a couple yeah. of weeks before the solstice, but it's pretty much the best chance in the country at a big competitive race of getting good conditions. And conditions were terrific for racing this year. I I can't complain. I lucked out. It was hot in the lead up, both where you are in the upstate, in the places that I traveled on the way to Duluth. But we had a breaking point, uh, stayed a few nights before in Madison, Wisconsin. And it was nice. a super hot day. Great town, Madison. Go run yeah. there. Yeah, get in one of their races. It's awesome to see that city. Super hot day. And then some heavy storms came through and it brought with it a cold front and broke the humidity at the start. A few days later in Duluth for the half, we were looking at temperatures in the low 50s. Oh, man. Yep, with a slight tail to crosswind. So picture perfect. It was probably, for most folks, about a 9 out of 10 weather day. I mean, it was near near perfect. I might score it just a bit lower because I like the cold. Yeah. Give me 5 or 10 degrees cooler and I'm in heaven. Low 40s is about perfect for me for racing. For a race in June, this was tough. To beat. Said it started at 6 a.m. What uh, what time did the sun come up there? Sun was already up, man. Yeah. I think sunrise is something like 5:20ish there because you're so far north and you're so right. close to the solstice. I'm gonna come back to that though, Phil. A, a couple points on that sunrise that yeah. I think are significant factors for folks to consider if they're running this in the future. Glad you brought that up. We'll come right yeah. back to it. This year's marathon winners were Minnesota native Dakota Linworm from the uh, Minnesota Distance Elite team in the women's race. She's now a back-to-back champ, and she crushed it. 225.01, about 30 no. seconds. Wow. Yeah, about 30 seconds off the course record. And then Dominic Ondoro, who finished in 209.34 to win the men's race. He's actually the course record holder from his win there in 2014 when he broke Beardsley's mark. He as well was close to his record mark. Wow. Another exciting performance I thought was Sarah Sellers in second, uh, also ran 225. She, of course, had the big breakthrough in the terrible weather in Boston 2018. Yeah, she hasn't really been heard from much since Boston, but... Yeah, some decent races, but this this was a great race. And then also uh, after finishing my race, uh, because of the staggered time starts, which I'll, I'll get into more, you know, I finished my race before the marathon had even started. And okay. they, they have to clear out that whole start area, right, and get those folks off the course for the marathoners to come through. So uh, yeah. we had a, a guy in our group who was running the full marathon and targeting the new Olympic trials standard of 218 and so we were waiting to see him come through the finish and i got to see some of the top men come through at about mile 25 maybe the the 
strongest finish in the top 10 goes to former D3 star from North Central, Johnny Crane, who worked his, worked his way all the way up to seventh, actually came back and passed American 25K record holder Parker Stinson really okay. late in the race. Well, Johnny Crane uh, used to train at Zap for a while, didn't he, up there yeah. in Blowing Rock? That's correct, yeah. So uh, he had a tremendous performance, and there was some depth up at the front. It was quite an event. A lot of people took advantage of that weather, but with that 740 start for the elite men in the marathon, 745 for the women, 8 o'clock for the masses, you're on the borderline there with the temperatures rising throughout the day when the sun has already come up. Back to your point, when it comes up at 520, if you get a hot day there, while I feel comfortable that it wouldn't be the heat and humidity we saw in our training throughout the spring in Greenville, right? you could be up against the ropes by the end of that race. Yeah. So for me, it was the half, and it was right at uh, 113 flat. Phil, Congratulations. Yeah. That's an awesome day. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm very happy. Is that a PR for you? It is, and I will readily admit most of my PRs are really soft. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't race enough, uh, yeah. often enough. I felt confident I was going to go into this in, in PR and I was able well, to. You had a really solid block going into it and really consistent, gosh, several, probably six months, maybe not quite six months, but. Yeah, uh, I would say four to five really good months leading up. It was within a few seconds, if I could have just cracked under uh, 113 of being an A day for me, uh, but yeah. definitely hit my goals. If you had told me going in, I would get as much joy as I did from the day and run just seconds over 113, I would have taken it. I'd have signed off on that. No questions nice. asked. So, yeah, going, going into it, what did you think you were capable of? I was assuming under 114. Okay. Was the target for an average day. And it and I would have taken under 114 and said, this is good, maybe a B race. Yeah. But to come almost a minute, so four seconds or so per mile faster than that, to feel good, to close strong. But we'll get more into that stuff. Uh, but it was an A minus, I'll give myself, and 100% an absolute A I will give to grandma's and the city of Duluth for the race. Nice. Let me quickly just take you through the day and the course. Yeah. Give a little background of my race and then what the event itself looks like. Uh, for me, I, for these longer races, half and marathon, I always get up really early a few hours before and get a short morning shakeout. When it's a six o'clock gun, you got to get up pretty early to do that. <laughs> So you won't, you won't meet me for a six o'clock run. So I can't imagine how painful it was to get up that early. <laughs> yeah. You know, I like my sleep. Phil. Beauty, <laughs> beauty rest. Uh, so you yeah. need that beauty sleep. I was out uh, on the road at, we had, had a cabin uh, Airbnb that looked out over the city. It was the city's on the side of a hill. So we were up at the top of the hill looking out over the city and Lake Superior. It was absolutely breathtaking oh man so uh, there was a a fairly flat road out from our cabin that i just jogged back and forth on at 3 30 i was out on the road that morning at 3 30 it's a good thing i did it because i had a a bus issue in getting there so i'll give you a little more on that in a sec i did that shakeout and then i did a little more after it than i normally would i went through a few drills I normally save those for later, but I'm really glad that I did because I didn't have time. Yeah. Didn't have time later. 
Breakfast was half a bagel toasted with some honey. That's your usual pre-race, right? Yeah, that's become before all my long runs and uh, hard workouts now as well. But yes, before races. And then with uh, water with some noon with caffeine in it. That was uh, about two hours or so out. Okay. I felt good. I could tell the day before I was ready to race. There was nothing that said like, oh, this is the best my legs have ever felt. But I knew I'm going to get there and be ready to roll. So there was excitement. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Please. Going, going into, so you did a half a bagel with some honey and peanut butter. Would you do any more for a marathon? Depends on the time out. Uh, yeah. But yes, if I were going to make a change to what I would do for a marathon, it might be a whole bagel. I might eat both halves of it. Yeah. Um, or I might add, say, a banana, something like yeah. that. But it would be really similar. Went to, there were multiple dr- bus pickups. Uh, some of the other guys I were running with stayed in a different location at the marathon start line where I was at the marathon half marathon finish area. So they got on different buses and they got there earlier. And frankly, I'm glad they did because I know they might've been a little less composed given the situation (laughs) than what happened for me. Yeah. So yeah, it was nerve wracking as I was on a bus at, this event was very big this year, but the biggest in, in recent years. And so combined between, well, the, the half marathon had like 8,000 people. It sold out uh, all that they okay. could fit on the course. And you had that many or more in the marathon. And yeah. everyone is getting bussed to the start line. Uh, you, you can't arrive any other way. I got to a, a local mall that was maybe a mile or two from where we stayed. They had a window f- for people bus pickup times i got there right when i wanted to Mm -hmm. however there was a big line to get on the buses so i waited and they were moving the buses through i mean this was efficient well-oiled machine but just a thought for the future for folks you may want to get there a little earlier than you think you need to uh, for the bus pickup because i had about 10 15 minutes where i had to wait in line to get onto the bus and then rode the bus out to the start line. And it was a longer trip than I expected. And we got backed up with some other buses. By the time our bus dropped off, it was after 5.30. Would you like to be there early, I know. Yeah, I want to get a warm-up in. Yeah. Uh, So it was about 5.35. Took a half of a gel as we pulled in on the bus, a uh, a Morton's gel caffeinated. And then my warm-up was jogging through this crowd in the chute, navigating through porta potty lines uh-huh. at about probably 12-minute mile pace, just barely trotting to work around people to get to the front. I got through the front and actually jogged out through the line and then immediately ran into the guys that I was there with. So it was perfect. I got to see them beforehand and talk through strategy. Then I got a couple strides. I took a sip of water quick little bathroom break in the woods and some leg swings and it was time to go. It was a bit rushed, but uh, they got us ready and got us off right on time. The early miles, there were, I wrote down, it was about a 550 opening mile and 1137 at two miles. This was definitely slower than where I wanted to be. Okay. That may have cost me the shot at going under 113 and and also at beating a few more people, but also given that lack of warm up. And the way I ended up executing this race, it, it, it may have been the perfect plan too, because yeah, yeah. 
I ran a progressive negative split race that I believe for a half and marathon is the best execution. I felt great a lot of the way and I ran a time and place, as I said, that I was really pleased with. But I probably could have done the same and run those first two miles a few seconds faster. Okay. But, you know, it's an A minus day. Can't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. I'm probably better off to start with those kind of miles and go out too hot and. That's exactly right, especially without a warm-up. It could have been a crash and burn. So about the mile marker, I found a large pack of guys and elite women and tucked in from about a mile to two miles. I thought they were moving a little bit quicker than it turned out we were. And so I moved up to the front of the pack and then just started to work up through different groups and individuals and pick people off from there. So the highlight of the day for me was I never got passed by anyone. It was all passing. Plus race then. Yeah, I was all passing and moving up. I didn't check my watch a ton after those miles, but I did notice at 10K that I had the average down to around 540 per mile. So I knew I was running some 530 somethings at this point. Uh, I took a Morton Gel 100 caffeinated there at 10K. So so let's back up. Let's back up to that point that you just made there. So when when are you checking your watch and what do you have displayed on your watch? Great question. I try to check it as infrequently as possible. I I didn't really want much guidance, but in the second half of this race, I probably checked it a bit more than I had anticipated because Mm -hmm. the feedback was was so good from it. It became this upward spiral. We always warn about the downward spiral of looking at it too much and beating yourself up. Every time I glanced at it, I was running faster and faster and faster. So it's not like I looked at it a lot. It was every few miles. I had on their distance, total time, and average pace were on the screen. Grandma's does a great job at both the Grandma's Marathon and Gary Bjorklund Half. They have permanent uh, road markers of the miles as well as the 5K and 10K were marked for the half. Very cool. Spray painted onto the road on the sides, on the shoulder. Yeah. So you would hit that mile marker for the marathon and know, well, I have about 0.1 to go to hit my mile marker. They seemed incredibly accurate to me. So I would check occasionally when I hit one of those. Yeah. Again, at 10K, I took a Morton gel, not because I need those calories to get through it, but it's become standard practice for me in my training and in my longer runs. And also a little bit of caffeine there probably is beneficial. I decided I would continue to press even a little bit harder in that segment after 10K because that leads you then up to your biggest uphill on the course, which is called Lemon Drop Hill. It's at mile nine on the half. Uh, You're over 20 on the marathon. Okay. Definitely definitely could see this being more challenging on the marathon. That's a tough spot on the marathon. When you're fatigued and you are, they would be at 22. Yeah. Yeah. not a significant climb, but definitely the biggest on the course and certainly noticeable. My understanding of the history is it's not quite as big as it used to be from some road construction they did. It used to be a little bit steeper climb you had there. And you actually get uh, tricked a little bit with a gradual longer uphill that leads into it uh, in the ninth mile. So that stretch is challenging. And what you end up with is by the time you reach Lemon Drop Hill there through mile nine, You've run a net uphill in the half. Uh, This has rolled. And even at the base of the hill, you would be slightly higher than the start line. So now I'm up from where I started. 
good news is you come out of it with a long, gradual downhill that was longer than I had anticipated, even after uh, driving the course the day before. Nice. Yeah. And so I came out of that and just, just said, let's hammer, you know, see yeah. what I got. I feel good. That was kind of the plan. If I could execute it, just to really start to squeeze and, you know, saw the watch a couple of times and it's five twenties. I just kept trying to hit the gas a little more and a little more and keep a smile on my face. And I say that in all seriousness, Phil, I was having so much fun at this point. Yeah. You know, the, the smile was big that you're coming into the city now. So the fans are everywhere and so encouraging. And also I had a realization that I can do this today. I'm going to hit a target. Let's just keep chasing it. Let's keep pressing it. And well, and to me that, that mindset makes such a difference for a longer race like that and going in with, like you said, the joy and the appreciation and maybe even the positive self-talk of like, this is really what I've been training for and let's go out and just, just enjoy this experience versus I know a lot of times folks will get into a, a headspace where they, you know, they might fall off pace for a couple of miles and really start giving themselves some negative feedback or racing with a little bit of anger or frustration. And, and really that, that can limit your performance versus just, going in and enjoying the experience and being grateful for what you're doing. No question, Phil. You're absolutely right. We've all experienced it on race day, but it can be hard to talk yourself out of that space when it starts getting negative mentally and you just can't let yourself go there. It's yeah. funny you mentioned it too, because Kelsey Pontius, who was on with us at the beginning of the year, who uh, ran a dynamite Olympic trials qualifying race in the marathon at Houston earlier this year was on the course. And with my slow start, I think she ended up the fourth or fifth woman in the half. Okay. With my slow start, I had to work my way up to her. And I caught her at about mile eight. After the race, we were able to catch up a little bit. I said to her, you might not have even recognized it. I came up on you at eight and just tried to give you some encouragement but I could tell from her response, you know, she just said something about, oh, it's an awful day. And you're right. You're letting yourself kind of fall into that trap. Now, fortunately for her, she told me that eighth mile was really bad. That ninth mile was rough. And then she was able to regroup and close stronger. Uh, but that can be a hard hole to dig yourself out of. Yeah. Once you fall into it. Now we're running through the city. You're running through downtown. At about 12 miles, it set in, I'm going to have to grind to keep this up and finish strong. I'm really thinking I can break 113. Yeah. But it's going to be an actual race here to the finish. We had a short, steep uphill over the highway and then a turn into the wind at about 12 and a half miles. And Ooh, now you're, you're right on the water now, uh -huh. right on the water out at Canal Park. And so the wind is more noticeable. There's no buildings. There's none of the trees around and you're turning back into it. And I thought this is just, it's like a three, a three minute fight to the finish. I just have to hang in for, it's that last three minute rep of every workout. One of our buddies who was up there with us, Ian, who had a great day, he, he was able to dip under 68 in the half by just a second. He said on the lean at the line, he went <laughs> under 68. Right. He made a really funny comment, though, as we walked by this spot at 12 and a half where you turn into the wind afterwards. He goes, people are going to be calling that the toughest stretch in all of sports with that <laughs> wind coming at you. And of course you're 12 and a half uh -huh. into a half or 25 and a half into a, uh, into a marathon. And, and then you had a sharp turn out of that. And that's another spot that, ah, maybe if I navigated that a little bit better, but there are actually two guys I was passing at this point. Okay. And so I'm coming wide on this turn. I didn't even look at the clock coming down the final stretch. I, I was just, 
kick for my life <laughs> and yeah. see what happens. And super happy again, a minus, but gosh, it was, it was good. There's no question. It was good. As an overview on grandmas in general, I would 100% go back. As I said about Bloomsday for my last race, I hope I do get to go back. Yeah. This, is, this is one where, you know, Bloomsday out in Spokane, maybe someday, but in Duluth, this half of the country and with the timing, I might love to be back next year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'd love to do it again. But that would most likely be for the half again, given those start times. If the marathon was starting at six, I'd feel a little better about the weather. Yeah, that eight o'clock start time, that time of year. <laughs> it, it's, it's delicate. Yeah. So it's just a risk with the later start in the marathon, the chance you could have the warmer temps. And remember, the sun's at its strongest this time of year. So even if you're farther north, that still plays a role. With all that said, this year, the marathon stayed in the mid-50s or so. I think it was 56 or something at, at our finish line. And some clouds even rolled in later in the morning that probably made it a more optimal time to run. But we talked about, as we cooled down, me and the other guys who were in the half, who both ran PRs, so happy for them. Nice. Uh, it's cutting it close. And the other thing is, if it's sunny, it's likely you lost some of the shade along the course that I got in the half mm -hmm. because the sun has risen by that point. Uh, yeah, so that's that's Grandma's Marathon and Gary Bjorklund Half Marathon 2022. Can't recommend it enough. Thank yeah, thank you, Phil. Quickly before we go, I, I did a little breakdown of my training from the recent weeks to give folks some context. So, yeah, well, and I got a question on that too. So go ahead and then I'll ask you. Okay, that sounds great, bud. So the last four weeks of the main block, which were in May and early June, averaged about 95 miles a week. Okay. Uh, now, remember, I don't closely monitor weekly load as measured by mileage, and my training cycle is not always seven days, uh, but it was around 95 a week when I go back and look at it. Now, I run the mileage for training, but also because I love running, and yeah. that number is probably higher for me than most people of a comparable ability, but it's worked for me. I keep improving, and I enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, to the taper, the last two weeks, including the race, were 76 and then 54 miles, respectively. Oh, a, so that's that's excellent. So what, 75% and then yeah, yeah. 50%. Right. So it's a Saturday race, so there was no Sunday run that last week, so that would have been a few more miles. And the taper was really about 10 days, I would say, not actually two yeah. weeks. The taper workouts were six days out. I ran... A warm-up plus three miles at marathon effort plus a short jog plus three minutes harder. That ended up being around 8K effort for those three minutes. Okay. Glad to get joined in the uh, last three minutes in the cool down there by our buddy Kyle. And nice. then three days out, I totally scrapped my planned run because <laughs> it was so hot, just excessive heat and humidity that day. It was one of the worst days so far this summer. And I ended up doing eight by a minute on, minute off working down yeah. from half marathon effort to 5k effort and then did some strides after that i would do both of those again i felt ready to roll yeah Not, there's nothing i would change there and so often we change those last few workouts just for the sake of changing them yep. but it, i was ready well and at that point you're not building fitness you're just making sure the legs have a little bit of snap and they're they're fully recovering that's right just trying to feel good Absolutely. Yep. In those last four primary training weeks, I broke down the composition of the miles. So those last four big weeks of the cycle, only about 5% of the total volume ended up faster than race pace. And that includes strides. 
I'm, oh, us I'm using what I ran that day uh, in the actual race rather than maybe what I expected it to be leading up. So yeah. uh, as compared to what I ran in Duluth, only about 5% of the volume was faster than race pace, including strides. Uh, slightly more than that, closer to 10, was at eventual race pace or a few seconds per mile slower. Okay. And then long runs were a very strong point, and they supplemented those workout sessions well, I thought, at, with 57 miles of work over those last four weeks in just three long runs, so averaging 19 per long run, that averaged about 620 pace, uh, so steady up-tempo stuff. Okay. And that was about 15% of the total volume. 30, 30 to 45 seconds slower than your... Yeah, that's right. It would have ended up about, yeah, 45 seconds slower than the eventual half marathon race. So those are where I'll add some length into the fall as I'm looking at more of a marathon block into <laughs> December. Uh, but otherwise, a lot of what we did here worked well. Uh, I'll change some, some of the sessions, but the general trend is positive and improving from where I was a year ago. So yeah. no, no reason to change everything. Just keep building from that and tweak a few things. But otherwise, it was almost all easy miles. Uh, 70 plus percent of the total volume were easy runs, and those averaged two minutes or more per mile slower than my eventual half marathon pace. Nice. So, so through that bill, the question I have for you is, what was your favorite session? Great question. By the end of it, the long runs became my favorite. They were steady with just a natural, gradual progression. We've talked here before about not trying to overdo this, having to do an exact number of miles really fast at the end of a progressive long run. These were just natural progressions that on some hilly courses. I would put those near the top. Uh, maybe hard just to pick one. I'll, I'll narrow it down a little. I did um, a session of alternating miles where I did the first K a little faster than eventual mm -hmm. half marathon effort. And then the next 600-ish at a float, uh, two sets of four miles of that. And I did uh, three by three by five minutes session. Okay. So reps five excuse me reps three six and nine were faster than half marathon pace all the others were at goal half marathon effort okay and then when i went to multiple times that i think was really good for efficiency and economy was uh we've mentioned it here before the 20 by 400 at about 10k with a short 100 meter jog it was never too challenging uh, but i felt like i got a lot out of it i'm going to keep that in for sure i i just added that over the past year Nice. And then, of course, all the hills. The hills aren't going anywhere. That's where I'm headed to next. It's the return to the summer of hills. Well, it's summertime. It's time for summer of hills. That's right. I'm just going to get started back running here. We'll take it easy. And then once it's time to work out again, there will be at least one hill workout a week from here. Uh, probably through Labor Day, maybe I will go for a Labor Day 5K again. So Join us on Paris Mountain one Friday. Yeah, there's a chance. <laughs> this time of year, there's a chance. Yeah. Anything else, Phil? No, nice, nice work. That, that's, well, I think that certainly is one for us to put on the list, is one for you maybe to return to and for others to consider. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a good breakdown of your training, just you know, regardless of how many miles a week you're running, the, the vast majority of that is, is pretty easy and not much work faster than half marathon pace. And just enjoy what you're doing out there. Yeah, those are probably the most significant takeaways. You nailed it. 
I hope everyone enjoys USA Champs. World Champs will be coming up soon. We'll get this out to you. It'll actually be the, the last day of US Champs by the time this gets to you. So all the, the big races will be over. But hope you enjoy the coverage on NBC Networks and USATF.TV. The world of running is coming to Eugene in July. So we have a lot to look forward to for the first time ever. We're hosting the World Champs and it's the first chance ever for our athletes to run on home soil. And so many of them, ex-Oregon athletes, folks from the Northwest, uh, super exciting. And for me and Phil, we regroup, we rebuild, we come back better than ever for the fall. And we look forward to our next races, but even more so, we look forward to seeing you next time on mile 121 of Seconds Flat. Everybody have a great week and we will talk to you soon.